This is Dr. Samantha Shapiro, Executive Editor of Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine. Harrison's Pod Class is brought to you by McGraw-Hill's Access Medicine, the online medical resource that delivers the latest trusted content from the best minds in medicine. And now, on to the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Harrison's Pod Class. We're your co-hosts. I'm Dr. Kathy Handy. And I'm Dr. Charlie Weiner, and we're joining you from the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Hey, everyone. We're here for episode 117, a 62-year-old's man with memory and behavioral problems. Okay, Kathy. Uh, today's patient is a 62-year-old man who presents with memory and behavior problems. Until one year ago, he had worked as a senior account manager at a local bank, but he had to retire after he had an angry outburst with a client and was inappropriate with a colleague in a departmental meeting. His family reports that this behavior was entirely out of character for him, and since then he's become increasingly brusque and easily angered. He's also been overly sexual and has said many appropriate things within hearing of his teenage grandchildren. At the same time, it's also been noted by his family that his memory has been worsening. His wife tells you that recently she began managing the money and paying the bills after he no longer could be relied on doing this, which he had done for most of their marriage. The patient also recently had a near-miss accident while driving the wrong way down a one-way street. On physical examination, he's gruff and says that he doesn't want to do this damn thing. He needs to get the hell out of here. He was quite rude and insulting to his wife several times during the interactions. On physical examination, his vital signs are normal. His mini-mental state examination is 20 out of 30. There's no rigidity in his extremities. He does have a positive glabellar reflex, though. His gait is normal, his deep tendon reflexes are 3 plus and symmetric, his strength is 5 over 5 throughout, and there are no sensory deficits anywhere. His cerebellar function is also normal. All right, before we get to the question, it appears that he has some form of dementia that's developed over the past year. Yeah, well, let's start by defining the word dementia. I know there are a few options within that broad category. Yeah, it's a syndrome with many causes. Um, It's important because it affects nearly 6 million people in the United States and results in a total annual healthcare cost in excess of $300 billion. Dementia is defined as an acquired deterioration in cognitive abilities that impairs the successful performance of activities of daily living. Episodic memory, which is the ability to recall events specific in time and place, is the cognitive function that's most commonly lost. 10% of people over the age of 70 and 20 to 40% of individuals over 85 have clinically identifiable memory loss. In addition to memory, dementia can erode other mental faculties, including language, visual spatial, praxis, calculation, judgment, and problem-solving abilities. Neuropsychiatric and social deficits also arise in many dementia syndromes, manifesting as depression, apathy, anxiety, hallucinations, sometimes delusions or agitation, insomnia and sleep disturbances, or even sometimes compulsions and disinhibition. Wow, this really is a huge problem. Now, our patient is young. He's only 62, but it sounds like he qualifies based on his recent job issues, the decreased function at home, the driving episode, and the wife's report of a distinct change in personality. Yeah, I would agree with that. Any comments on his physical examination? Some abnormalities that you mentioned are the low mini mental status exam and the positive glabellar reflex. 
So that reflex is elicited by tapping repeatedly on the glabella or the area between the eyebrows. And a positive response is reported when the patient cannot resist blinking. Any parent of a newborn has seen it, but in adults, it's often found in Parkinson's disease and the dementias, but it doesn't have much diagnostic specificity. Okay, well, let's move on to the question, which is going to get us into the differential diagnosis of the dementia syndromes. The question asks, based on this patient's presentation, which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? And the options are A, Alzheimer's disease, B, dementia with Lewy bodies, C, frontotemporal dementia, D, progressive supranuclear palsy, or E, vascular dementia? Well, the answer that I would choose for this patient is C, that he likely has frontotemporal dementia. Well, you know I'm going to ask you to tell me more about that. (laughs) So frontotemporal dementia, FTD, refers to a group of clinical syndromes that demonstrate frontotemporal lobe degeneration on pathologic examination. Now, it typically presents a bit earlier in the 40s to 60s and is nearly as predominant as Alzheimer's disease in this age group. There are three distinct clinical syndromes of FTD. So there's behavioral variant, there's semantic primary progressive aphasia, and there's non-fluent or agrammatic primary progressive aphasia. These syndromes have distinct clinical and MRI findings that allow us to determine the primary diagnosis, although patients may evolve to have prominent features of another syndrome. So if you were saying this patient has frontotemporal dementia, which of those specific manifestations would our patient have and why? This patient would have the behavioral variant of frontotemporal dementia, or FTD, which is the most common of the syndromes. So individuals with behavioral variant FTD demonstrate social and emotional dysfunction with a variety of symptoms, and that will include apathy, disinhibition, compulsivity, loss of empathy, and overeating. And in addition, there are typically deficits in executive control. Upper motor neuron disease is often seen as well. If we obtained an MRI, what would we expect to see? MRI would show atrophy of the anterior cingulate or frontoinsular areas. What about the other types of FTD? In the semantic primary progressive aphasia variant of FTD, patients slowly lose the ability to decode word, object, person-specific, and emotional meaning. And the MRI will show prominent atrophy in the temporal polar area greater on the left. The non-fluent agrammatic primary progressive aphasia variant of FTD demonstrates profound inability to produce words and motor speech impairment. The MRI in those cases will show a dominant frontal, opercular, and dorsal insula degeneration. So he's a young guy. Are there any treatments? This is really a tough one, and caregivers for patients with FTD do carry a heavy burden, especially when the illness disrupts core emotional and personality functions of a loved one. The patient's wife has already told us about the disruptions in their house and with family, Um, but the treatment is symptomatic. There are currently no therapies known to slow progression or improve symptoms. Um, Many of the behaviors that may accompany FTD, such as depression, hyperorality, compulsions, and irritability can be ameliorated with antidepressants, especially SSRIs. Because FTD is often accompanied by Parkinsonism, Antipsychotics, which can exacerbate this problem, must be used with caution. Okay, well, let's just run briefly through the other uh, syndromes that we talked about that were on the differential for this gentleman. All right, so let's start with Alzheimer's. So Alzheimer's disease is the most common cause of dementia, contributing to an estimated 60 to 70% of all cases. 
Alzheimer's can uh, manifest as early as the third decade of life, but it's the most common cause of dementia in the elderly and typically presents in patients older than ours. Patients most often present with an insidious loss of episodic memory followed by a slowly progressive dementia. In typical amnestic Alzheimer's, brain atrophy begins in the medial temporal lobes before spreading to the inferior temporal lateral medial parietal, and then the dorsolateral frontal cortices. Interesting. So the MRI in Alzheimer's is definitely different than in frontotemporal dementia. Yeah, but remember, the MRI can also be completely normal in early Alzheimer's disease. Okay, I've heard a lot about dementia with Lewy bodies recently. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, supposedly Robin Williams suffered with this form of dementia. So it's essentially dementia with features of Parkinsonism. It's the second most common form of neurodegenerative dementia after Alzheimer's. Clinically, early psychosis, including well-informed visual hallucinations, fluctuating cognition, rapid eye movement, sleep behavior disorder, and Parkinsonism are the main diagnostic features in dementia with Lewy bodies. The first manifestation of this disease in some patients is delirium, often precipitated by an infection, a new medicine, or some other systemic disturbance. Okay, Uh, what about progressive supernuclear palsy? Progressive supernuclear palsy, or or PSP, is a neurodegenerative disorder that involves the brainstem, basal ganglia, diencephalon, and selected areas of cortex. Clinically, it begins with falls and executive or subtle personality changes. So this can be mental rigidity, impulsivity, or apathy. Now, shortly thereafter, a progressive oculomotor syndrome ensues, and that begins with square wave jerks, followed by slow saccades. Um, usually vertical worse than horizontal, uh, before resulting in progressive supranuclear ophthalmoparesis. Dysarthria, dysphagia, and symmetric axial rigidity can be prominent features that emerge at any point in the illness. A stiff, unstable posture with hyperextension of the neck and a slow, jerky, toppling gait are characteristic. Frequent, unexplained, and sometimes spectacular falls are common, secondary to a combination of axial rigidity an inability to look down, and impaired judgment. Even once patients have severely limited voluntary eye movements, they retain oculocephalic reflexes. So that's demonstrated using a vertical doll's head maneuver. So the oculomotor disorder is supernuclear. The dementia overlaps with the behavioral variant of FTD, but our patient didn't have any of these physical features, so this diagnosis is less likely. Okay, we've covered a lot already, but let's just finish with vascular dementia. All right, this is also commonly in the elderly, and the term vascular dementia has traditionally been used to describe a subset of dementia cases due primarily to one or more symptomatic strokes. However, a more modern usage broadens the definition, um, and it's been substantially broadened to encompass the full impact of cerebrovascular disease on age-related cognitive decline. So the term vascular contributions to cognitive impairment and dementia reflects the observation that pathologic changes involving the cerebral vasculature are highly prevalent in the elderly and contribute to cognitive impairment, whether occurring in isolation or more commonly in conjunction with other neurodegenerative processes. So is when people say someone's had many strokes, is this the kind of dementia they're talking about? Yeah, it can be. Population-based studies have demonstrated substantially increased risk of cognitive impairment among individuals without symptomatic strokes, but with MRI evidence of cerebrovascular disease. The high risk for subsequent cognitive impairment or dementia conferred by MRI markers of otherwise silent vascular brain injury highlights the cumulative impact of small brain injuries 
often associated just with small vessel brain disease, on compromising the brain function. Okay, so in closing, this is a obviously a very, very complicated topic that combines syndromic diagnoses with imaging, etc. But it also reinforces that taking a good history and doing a complete physical examination are essential to the diagnosis and characterization of these dementia syndromes. These characterizations have important prognostic implications and have profound impact on families and caregivers. While there are currently limited options for therapy, we're hopeful that ongoing research to better understand these dementia syndromes will result in more effective therapies. And you can learn more about this on the general chapter on dementia, but then there are also specific chapters on each of the disorders that we've mentioned. Thanks for listening to Harrison's Class. You can listen to this episode and more on accessmedicine.com, which includes the complete Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine text, Harrison's Review Questions, which complement and expand upon the questions in this episode, and much more. Accessmedicine.com may already be available to you via your academic institution. Check it out.